श्रीला गुरुदेव की जय श्री मन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरिगो सो वेलकम टू ऑल ऑफ यू अगेन May you have a very blessed uh, beginning of this new week, and uh, here we are continuing with our series of lectures about Vaishnava etiquette, rules and love in the life of a sadhaka. So today we are in our um, fourth fourth meeting, and we will continue speaking about Guru Seva. We spoke about that in our last. Uh, session previous Thursday and we will continue today maybe finishing today quote-unquote finishing an ending topic so before continuing with whatever I want to share with you today let me make some brief summary hmm, about uh, what we were studying during previous week last class so we began speaking about Guru Seva by trying to stress and, and, and remind ourselves of the fact that this Vaishnava etiquette, this Sadhachar, uh, is not so much about some list of do's and don'ts that you memorize and you are already doing everything properly, but it's something that mainly will, you will imbibe in the proximity and the association with Sri Guru. And we say proximity doesn't mean physical proximity as we know. We speak in, in terms of proximity, in terms of surrender, mm? of giving ourselves to the object of our service. Mm? So from that we will be able, and of course physical proximity also is helpful, and we will speak today about a little bit about that, Bapu, Bani. We gave, we share some notions of Guru Tattva, even though we are, we were speaking, and we are speaking about Guru Seva, it's important to say something about Guru Tattva in order to, uh, address the principle of Guru Seva. Mm. So we mentioned how this Guru Bhakti mm, that is so important, even in one sense more important than Krishna Bhakti. Mm. Jiva Goswami considers that a Guru Bhakti as an Angi, as we mentioned, Krishna Bhakti as an Anga of such an Angi. Mm. Guru Padasraya is the very beginning of devotional life and the other limbs of Bhakti connected to the shelter of Sri Guru as well represent the very official, if you will, uh, entering into the realm of bhajan. Mm -hmm. We also share some considerations about how this department of Guru Tattu expresses itself in twofold way, if you will, in the form of Siksha and Diksha. And how, wh whether we are speaking in terms of Siksha and Diksha, we are speaking about Guru, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very same reality, expressed in di through different ambassadors, if you will, and whoever is the most prominent guru figure in our life, or, or the figures, Bande Gurum, as Chaitanya Charitamrita begins, Pranam to all my to my gurus, plural. Bishram Bena Guru Seva. The important point here is we are to learn how to render affectionate service to Sri Guru in the in the context of confidence, in the context of intimacy, but also all that in the context of veneration and respect and proper 
regard and understanding of the tattva of Sri Guru. So we began our previous meeting by speaking also about initiation and the requirement for that, that basically the if we are to speak about one only requirement, that will be to follow Sri Guru. And we are speaking here about in a substantial way regarding what the Guru represents substantially for us. Today we will speak a little bit more about also the relativity present in that department. And how we may have certain doubts about my, that person or that person as a possible Guru. But after Diksha, ideally, we should do not have those types of doubts anymore. Because Diksha implies full commitment, ideally, to a person, to, no, uh, to, to, to meet someone in my life that I can give myself fully. And that has, representing Krishna has the capacity to receive that and to direct that in the context of Parampara. And I, so again, when we speak about giving ourselves fully, full surrender, all this should be a something natural, voluntary, charming, irresistible, <laughs> in this way is that we speak about these ideas, not as some forced action or something. And we are to behave as sevakas, as servants, which is sevaka is a very honorable position. And we went a little bit in detail describing about different types of guru sevaka. And the one who doesn't need any instruction is already identified with the necessity of the moment uh, or whatever. An intermediate sevaka who needs instruction to know what to do. And sevakadam or low type of servitor even though the instruction is there, the example is there, the person is not really behaving as such. So it's a so-called disciple. And we, sure, we further expanded on that with six examples of this type of low servitor with different analogies, the bee-like servitor, the arrow-like, the Jyotishaka astrologer, and so on. And in contrast, of course, we also shared some stories of famous, if you will, sevakas, like Aruni with Domi Rishi, or Krishna and Sudan with Sandipani Munish showing the the very uh, loving mm, uh, offering of oneself for the pleasure of Guru, but acknowledging how much one has received from that person. One has received new life. In his prospect in life, so naturally, one wants to pay back with one's own life in a very... And one even will feel, this is not enough, but I have to do something. <laughs> So we were speaking about this idea, you know, what, what's the implication of being a sadhaka, a sevaka, a student, disciple, discipline, obedience, but all this again, not in a military way, but all this born out of love and trust. If I love someone, I will be surrendered to that person. If I have extreme affection for someone, I will align myself to, to the will of that loving person. So, so in this way, it should work. If that's not working like that, we should see what must be fixed there, but we cannot force any circumstance in this connection. Mm. So it's important for us to be dis disciples, because as we mentioned, that's part of the question. If there is no disciple, there is no guru, mm. uh, basically. The guru may be there, but if we are not there as disciples, we won't be able to take full advantage of the presence of the sadhu. And of course, in another sense, we may see the, say the guru is the real disciple, ultimately. To, for someone to be a guru means he or she has been a real disciple. That person is really willing hmm, to serve. Hmm? Kinkara, which, as we mentioned, how can I serve? Now, I remember once I, one of the very first times I was speaking with my guru Maharaj, uh, it was online, this, and I wrote to him, I said, are you, Maharaj, are you there? And he told me, how can I serve you today? 
That was his beginning words, and, and he really he really meant it. <laughs> and he still demonstrates that on a daily basis after so many years. So, and and that got I was that was a huge impact in me, you know, because I felt, oh wow, you no, know, this is this is what really means to be a guru, basically, and that's what it really means to be a disciple. At one point, they are synonymous. Real disciple will be a guru, whether had disciples or not officially. Mm-hmm. And a real guru will be the one who is serving everyone in the best, most comprehensive way. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. If I love someone, I will naturally follow mm, that person. I will do what's pleasing to him, to her. So we as disciples are expected to do so naturally. Mm-hmm. And at the present moment, many of us may not have a pretty concrete, if you will, direct relationship of service with Sri Krishna. But we have the possibility of that in the form of Sri Guru. And the intensity in which we invest ourselves in that committed relationship, in one sense that applies to the prospect, uh, to the type of conception and relationship we have with Krishna, not in terms of specific rasa, but intensity of of giving ourselves. So we as Sisyas, our disciples are expected to to show that side, that part of us, to be grateful, we also spoke about that to appreciate the gifts that we received from Sri Guru, the creep of Sri Guru. We recited this nice verse, Mukam Karoti Bachalam, how by the grace of Guru a blind can see, a lame, lame can walk, and so on. So, the mercy of Sri Guru, as we described, what's the mercy of Sri Guru? When Sri Guru shows a, a, a pleasing disposition toward the sincere disciple, that feeling here the Guru is experiencing, that is her mercy. So we as disciples are after that. Obtaining the Guru's mercy means pleasing the person. So try to understand. Obtaining mercy is not taking something from the Guru for us, you know, but actually giving something to him, to her, pleasing him, her, and that's mercy. For us, Guru's mercy is he, she's pleased with our sincere effort. So those were some of the ideas we shared uh, last class. So this was a brief summary. And let's continue today with Guru Seva because we didn't enter into the more, if you will, practical details of Vaishnava etiquette and how about how to behave with Sri Guru in any given circumstance. Of course, there are so many things to say and, and these series are kind of an in, introduction and some summary to, to the main considerations and always trying to post uh, a hammer on the hammer the post of, of, of essential approach to all these rules hmm, in the context of, of love again. So, that said, maybe in my previous class, I, in one side, I, I emphasized more the absolute side of Sri Guru, hmm? connected to the Guru being Krishna, in a representational sense, Sakshat, Harit, Bina, Atariman, Bianiam, and so on, being the embodying of Prem, also a devotee of Krishna, personifying the goal to attain Krishna Prem. Hmm? But also, I, and I would like to share some words in this connection, and a little bit was said last lecture when Archon City presented one question in that regard. But I think it's also equally important to understand not only the absolute side of Sri Guru, but also to emphasize and understand properly the relative side in our dealings with Sri Guru. Srila Siddha Maharaj presented this important conception of the absolute and relative side that before, for many, was unheard of. And everything was absolute, and that was creating some problems as well. Mm. So we should begin saying, 
that the relationship with three gurus is rare. It's, it's in a good sense, it's, it's unique. Now try to understand the point. The, 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 the relationship you have you, with your guru, you are not having that relationship with anyone else in your life, basically. Only with that single person. Or let's say you have your Diksha Guru, maybe one prominent Diksha Guru, but it's not that with every single person you have that specific, very specific type of connection. So it's very unique, very rare type of connection that needs to be properly understood. Its rarity, <laughs> its uniqueness needs to be properly uh, dealt with because it's, in, in, it's a type of relationship that we have never had before, we will never have before, if you will. It's, it's very unique. And it's very bed a bed, if you will. Very one thing, but not that thing. Same and different. For example, we all we mentioned, yes, Sri Guru is our friend. Yes, but he's not our friend, as we used to think about friendship. Hmm? He's a transcendental friend in another context. So he's our friend, but he's not. <laughs> Similarly, one may say sometimes the Guru is a fatherly figure, hmm? and the disciple is, is more in a son in a childlike perspective. So we would say he's our father, but he's not. Or he's our, she's our mother, she's not. Mother, father, whatever. Or always, as we mentioned, Guru is the servant of everyone. So Guru is our servant, but he's not. I mean, he's serving us for sure. And better than whatever we can serve him or her. But actually, we will, we, we, we shouldn't be, we should be mainly focused on serving him, basically. And he's our teacher, <clears throat> but he's not in the sense as we used to conceive the idea of teacher besides uh, trans transcendence. So we have already an idea of what's a mother, a father, a servant, a teacher, a friend. But this is not to be applied to Sri Guru in the exact same way. He's Krishna and he's not. As we mentioned. <laughs> so, bed a bed. He is, but he is not. He is, but he is not. That's when someone asks Lassila Maharaj, you know, is the Guru Vishnu Tattva or Jiva Tattva? Is he Krishna or he is a, a devoted person? Lassila Maharaj say, Guru is not Vishnu Tattva, Guru is not Jiva Tattva, Guru is Guru Tattva. So, it's a very unique Tattva, a very unique type of relationship and a very fine line as you can hopefully realize to, to, to walking a very complex truth hmm? actually the most complex of all tattoos we could say it is say that Guru Tattoo is basically the most complex tattoo to understand because of this inter intertwining of principles hmm? these grace areas if you will is the most complex but is the most crucial the most important to understand it is said that if you properly understand, address, and relate to Guru Tattva, all success is warranted. But if you misapprehend, misunderstand Guru Tattva, some corresponding uh, result may be there. So, Guru Tattva, Guru Nishta, Guru Seva, is, we sometimes it has been described as the backbone of our bhajan, of the pro our, our devotional, devotional project. So, it's very crucial to know how to deal with every aspect, again, of the figure of Sri Guru. Both the absolute side, Sri Guru is God himself, or is a personification of divine love, is our teacher who shares the precept and both ideal example. But also, again, there is a relative level that we have to know how to deal with. 
we shouldn't relativize the absolute side, we shouldn't absolutize the relative side. So on a relative level, we should understand that Tri Guru also will have his her human side, if you will, and preferences in that context. And we shouldn't get disturbed by that, but we shouldn't absolutize that or force ourselves to be in line with all of those details. Or we should understand things like, I don't know, the Guru is not omniscient. It's not that necessarily the Guru will know everything about me and everyone. Of course, has very direct connection with Sri Krishna in his heart, her heart. And if Krishna was, will notify him about whatever, but not necessarily that's the case in every single instance. Or we should understand the Guru is not necessarily expert in every single field of knowledge or action. Of course, to be a Guru in Gaudiya Vedanta means you are expert, you should, to, to enter into that situation. Expert in Shastra, in explaining Shastra and presenting that according to time, place, circumstance, to be familiar with other fields of knowledge, connection to that. But your main realm of expertise will be revealed knowledge in precept again and in example, achar prachar. But not necessarily a guru in Gaudiya Vedanta will be expert in, in, in social issues, politics, whatever, any topic that may be there apart from Shastra. So we should know what to expect from him. That's my point. You shouldn't expect that your guru will be expert in any single sense and over-glorify him or her, or her in, this, in that sense. He knows everything in, in, regarding every field of action. Not necessarily. And, and you are not committing or acknowledging that. So again, his absolute side, in this sense, will be connected to a perfect teaching, perfect example. But again, he, not, he won't be necessarily, she won't be necessarily expert in every other thing. So we shouldn't he seem in that light. That's my point. We shouldn't de develop certain expectations coming from that person in other fields of knowledge, psychology, financial support. It's not that the guru has to do all those things, cover all those bases. My guru is not my psychologist. If I need a psychologist, no problem. I should get one. But not necessarily my guru will be that, that cover that role. My guru is not there to give, I don't know, perfect financial advice or to give me assistance about whom I should marry or I should not, and so many other departments of our daily affairs, that the Guru is not necessarily to be involved. If the Guru agrees to share some advice, that's his her mercy. But even sometimes those, those advices may prove to be not that accurate. And this, that's not to be a, that, that shouldn't affect our faith in Sri Guru. We shouldn't be mature enough to separate his realm of expertise are whatever other realms that may be there. So the Guru is there to teach Shastra, as I said, to give a perfect example for us as sadhakas, and we should feel that's enough. Is that not enough? I mean, <laughs> if we expect, no, I want more. I want you to be my perfect psychologist. I want you. Most probably you are exploiting Sri Guru. You want actually to make Guru your servant in every single sense, and that's not healthy, and, and that's not speaking about properly about you as a disciple. So Guru will share, again, precept and example in connection to revelation. That should be more than enough. We should feel, regarding that that I'm receiving, I'm indebted for eternity. Even if I give my life in, 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 in exchange, that's not enough. So what to speak about expecting even more on other relative fields? Mm -hmm.
So again, the type of total giving and surrender that I emphasized during my previous lecture, of course, has more to do with the absolute side of Sri Guru regarding what the Guru personifies as a perfect example of practice, a delivering of perfect teaching. We should give ourselves full in that connection. But in connection to the relative side of Sri Guru, we, we, sh we, we, we may have to, to take some other stance depending the case. Hmm? Of course, with this I'm not re relativizing the Guru absolutely in every single other topic. There may be some very valuable advice, but they may, there may be not. And we should be open to that and understand hmm, what's his role, her role in our life and what's our role in connection to him or her. Hmm? So I wanted to give this introduction also as some sort of complementary um, Again, perspective regarding what I mentioned in the previous lecture, of course, there are so many specific individual situations and cases that sometimes the, the disciple may need to know how to deal, but of course, no time here to, to go into such detail, but some general ideas I want to share. So, after having done so, let's go to some of the more, again, practical tips, if you will, uh, regarding how to behave, relate with Sri Guru in the context of Mariat, proper behavior, as a Sisya, as a disciple. But again, sorry if I'm insisting too much in this connection, but in one sense, as I already mentioned, the whole Vaishnava etiquette can be summarized in, this, in, the, follow, in the following way. That is, one should never act in a way that displaces uh, one Guru, one's Guru. And of course, the opposite, mainly. One should act in a way that always places Sri Guru. There, all rules and regulations are included there, basically. Hari M. Bhakti Saddharva Shiva Goswami say that, Anucheda 237. He says, Basically, it says, if Sri Hari is displeased, Sri Guru can rescue the disciple. But if the guru is displeased, no one can offer protection. Therefore, one should try to please one's guru in all respects. So basically, the idea here is if, if, if we are not able to please Sri Guru, and again, Sri Guru is not a whimsical figure that only will be pleased with some weird stuff that is impossible for us to do, nothing like that. No, guru will be pleased with our sincere, honest attempt, no matter how mistaken it may, imperfect it may be yet. Mm -hmm. But the point is, if we are not able as disciples to please Sri Guru, there is, I mean, there is no shelter. That That's our ultimate shelter. Mm -hmm. Even if Hari is not so pleased with us, still as Jiva Goswami mentions here, Sri Guru is there. He can uh, interact. No? Similarly, we, we find many cases like this, like when Mahaprabhu didn't want to give darshan to Prataparudra Maharaj, or was displeased with some other devotees, some other cases, always someone like Nityananda Prabhu, or some other associates were there, in, in, like intermediaries, you know, in between, trying to connect and, and, and extend the mercy. So, let's share some, that said, let's share some ideas of how to deal with Sri Guru. And I think, I hope, that for most of you, some of these advices that I will share today are common sense. And, and hopefully are, we're already part of your behavior as, as, as something of common sense, not as something forced or implied. Or if it's something new you're hearing, 
at least you may find a, a sense in that. And at least I will try to present why these different advices are recommended. For example, when Sri Guru approaches Vaishnava, in the context of Vaishnava etiquette, if Sri Guru approaches, ideally you should stand up. And again, this is not a, a fourth thing. I have to stand up, I have to sit, I have to go to the floor. But it's why do I, I'm doing that? Sri Guru is approaching. Who is Sri Guru? Again, <laughs> the embodiment of Krishna Prem is coming. I, I, I have to no, receive that in a proper way. I have to honor that in a proper way. Of course, also there is the offer of offering of obeisances when you see the Guru, at least for the first time in the day. Sometimes in Vaishnava etiquette it is mentioned that one even should offer obeisances every single time one sees the Guru along the day. That may be too much for some. <laughs> and again, this is not only some aerobic, aerobical external movement, head down, head up, right, left, no? but what's, what does imply to me? So why I'm doing that? But at least it is say, when I see the Guru for the first time, I should offer pranam to him. And it is say when you offer pranam, you offer obeisances. Uh, the, offer, the obeisances are offered with your head to the front of Sri Guru. Depending the personality, when you offer obeisances to to the deities, for example, Mahaprabhu, Radha, and Krishna, you offer with your left side to them. When you offer pranam to a, a deva, it is say with the right side. And when you offer pranam to Sri Guru, it's with your front side. Again. These are technical details. You don't have to go neurotic to that, but there is some some technicality to it. But the main point, like is not some here, it's not so much front, left, right, but the attitude, the inner conception. Why I'm doing that? Who who is in front of me? Such a high reality that my head head goes to the ground. Or again, if I'm not offering obeisances, it's time I see Sri Guru. I stand up when he's approaching, you know, like a way of put pay, paying special attention to that personality. It's not that he's expecting that, it's not that he will force you to do that, but it's for our own benefit as disciples too. The act will take us to, ideally, should take us to a particular state of consciousness. Like when you put your head to the ground, it's something external, physical, but at the same time, it creates some favorable, if you will, atmosphere. Not not everyone will put his head, her head to the ground. <laughs> So, and it is say when we offer obeisances to Sri Guru, that shouldn't be done in silence. And of course, we will speak in the next lectures also. This is not only for the Guru, obeisances are there for, in relation to every Vaishnava ideally. So, when we offer pranam to Sri Guru, we should pronounce uh, pranam mantras. We, we can pronounce the pranam mantra of Sri Guru, uh, whichever it is, according to one's Guru. One should say Banchakal Patarubhyascha, the most uni- more universal pranam mantra to Vaishnavas, or one should recite any other pranam mantra. There are so many regarding Guru, Omagyana, Timirandasya, Namshristam, Manumahapisa, so many are. But this should be done in silence, but I should accompany my physical. Again, that is, my body is offering obeisances, my voice is offering obeisances, and my mind. No? That's the most complete form of pranam. Hmm? I'm yours with body, speech, and mind. So that's the idea. Again, it's not just a physical thing, it's not just a verbal thing, 
but it's also a mental thing, an internal thing. We are offering ourselves at that moment. So, that's one of the many points to consider. Another, in connection to addressing the Guru, that is also very interesting, is that the Guru's name should not be pronounced unless absolutely necessary. That's an interesting point. Because this is considered disrespectful. Of course, again, we have to enter into a particular culture, certain sensibilities, when you do not name the person directly by his her name, if that's a very venerable person. This is even today in certain families, even in Western world. You won't call your dad or mom directly by their name or something like that. But again, this, is, this shouldn't be a fourth law. There should be affection, but there is respect. Remember, with Sri Guru there is affection and confidence, but also there is respect and veneration. Mm-hmm. So, it is said that generally one is not making that public. Sanatan Goswami says, Gopayet Guru Radmana, Gopayet Chani Ishtadevatam, Gopayet Chani Yamantram, Gopayet Nijamalikam. You should hide your Guru, you should hide your Istadev, you should hide your Malika, you should hide your Mantra. The point is, that's very confidential, that's something very intimate. It's not that we want, we don't want to share that, but we will make a cheap uh, sharing of that. It's not a show, it's not something for public consumption, if you will, for the masses. It's something very specific. So there is this, this detail of etiquette, that when you uh, speak about your guru, you are not just pronouncing that over and over and over again. You try to be like uh, discreet, I think that's the word, sober in that connection. Now sometimes I feel, the bo- I met devotees that you are on the street walking and they meet you and they ask you, the very first thing they, they ask you when they see you, like I say, Vaishnava, who is your guru? And that's totally against Vaishnava etiquette, that's totally unbecoming. No? Like implying also, the question implies, carries the implication, according to your answer, I will continue my conversation or not. <laughs> no, If your guru is someone that I consider is bona fide, we can speak and that's nice. If not, sorry. Something like this. So that's something that gradually will be uh, unfolding, you know, will be revealed. Because again, Sri Guru should be something very intimate in our hearts. So it's not that immediately I'm showing and sharing and making subject propaganda of that. And even in the case when I will mention my guru's names, my guru's name, generally, ideally, that should be done in a particular mood. It's not just any name, because it's not just any person. One should, ideally, again, maybe in practice in certain dynamics that may not take place, but the ideal standard is nice and to have at least in mind. And when you mention your guru's names, no. You, you can put your palms joined, your head lowered, like understanding who you are referring to. Again, all this is to help us to further realize who is Sri Guru and who are we in relation to him. And sometimes we sh- it's recommended you should prefix the name of your Guru with the honorific Om, um, suffixing it with Vishnupad, Om um, Vishnupad, Paramahamsa Sri Srimad, and so on. I remember once I was in India. And it was nice, it was charming. And I met, a, there was one sannyasi, and I was hearing some Harikata, first time I was in India, like 15 years ago. And uh, he was sharing Harikata, I really liked him. So at the end I approached him, and we were speaking, and it was very nice. And at one point I asked him, so who is your Guru Maharaj? 
I tried not to ask that in the very beginning. And it was very nice how he replied, because it was we were speaking somehow casually, on some level, respectfully, but, but when I asked him, who is your Guru Maharaj, he entered into a total different mood, in the, in the good sense of the term. So he closed his eyes, he put his two hands, his two palms, and lowered his head and said, Om Vishnupada Paramahamsa Paribraja Kacharya Stotara Satri Srimad Srila Bhakti Pramod Purigoswami Maharaj. So again, this was very charming. It was not something that... It helped me, and I know it helped him, to, 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 to increase my insight about Sri Guru and how we should appreciate such principle. Again, in certain circumstances you may not be able to express in those terms, but at least you should understand which should be the the feeling. And again, at one point we don't have that feeling, and sometimes some of the, these details, by properly done, help us to force in the in the in the in a healthy way the expression of a particular mood to create a particular as Guru Maharaj will say, my Guru Maharaj, teachable moment, no inspiring moment. Or maybe, again, if you have some circumstance where you cannot express yourself in such detail, you mentally should direct those things, those glorifications and reverence to Sri Guru. So these are details of consideration. For example, also if you are uh, performing, I don't know, kirtan. Uh, ideally, if you are doing kirtan and there are different devotees, and there are disciples of different gurus, hmm, in the in the in the kirtan, in the mandali in the group, but even if, if beyond that, generally the tradition is you will never mention the name of your guru in kirtan. Hmm? Sometimes with Srila Prabhupada, the, 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 the tradition was there to begin the kirtans by invoking Prabhupada's uh, pranam mantra, hmm? Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, the one established in Iskand. But it's strictly speaking, this is not the tradition along Gaudiya Vedanta. Pranam mantra for Sri Guru is something you recite personally when you offer obeisances to him, when you are offering whatever, worship, not publicly in Kirtan. Of course, in that time, in one sense, there was no problem because everyone was disciple of Prabhupada. <laughs> but the etiquette is if there are disciples of different gurus, one should glorify in a generic way, if you will, in such a way that everyone can direct that glorification to their own Guru Dev. Hmm? So nobody feels forced in one, into one direction or another, or feeling, oh, this Guru is glorified here, but not any other one. So when we glorify Sri Guru, it's a whole art that should include the rest of the Parampara. Hmm? And that's why in Kirtan, generally, we won't say, Jai Srila Tripurari Swami or something like this in, in, in my case, but Jai Gurudev, Jai Guru Maharaj, Jai Prabhupada, all these are names or titles that can be naturally directed from for, for each one of one's gurus. Mm-hmm. So every devotee present, if I say Sri Guru Maharaj, everyone will direct that to their Guru Maharaj. If I say Jai Prabhupada, that should be the same. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that everyone is nobody feeling any imposition of some exclusive glorification of one unique acharya. Mm-hmm. So, but understanding all these expressions are encompassing the whole parampara. No? so that's that's the idea, not a sectarian glorification, immature, limited praise. That's not kirtan. So kirtan should be done properly in connection to the guru in this case. I remember one. 
situation also in that first visit to Brindavan. I, we were in Kirtan, and, and, and the one leading Kirtan was Ma, Madhu Mangal Prabhu. Madhu Mangal Prabhu was a disciple of Srila Siddhar Maharaj, and he was his uh, personal Kirtaniya, if you will. He was a very famous Kirtaniya. He was blind, physically speaking, and, 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 and he had a very sweet voice. I had the fortune of being with him. We even recorded some some curtains, and I had the fortune of playing Mridangan cartels me while he was singing, so it was a very nice experience. So once we were in one of those curtains, and he was singing the famous prayer composed by Srila Siddharmara, Sanskrit prayer to Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswata, Pranamami Sada Prabhupada Padam. Um, and at the end of the curtain, he ended saying, Jaya Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada, and so on. So when the curtain finished, one devotee asked him, Madhu Mangal Prabhu, I have one question. When you say Prabhupada at the end, were you referring to A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada or Sila Bhaktisiddhanta Sarvati Thakur Prabhupada? <laughs> so that was his immature question. <laughs> so Madhu Mangal clearly felt himself uncomfortable with that question. So he says, I don't know, Prabhupada is Prabhupada. That was his reply, like implying... My Prabhupada may be different from your Prabhupada, but I say Prabhupada, that's Prabhupada. You direct that according to your own particular mood and inspiration. Mm. Mm. So I, I hope this is also clear and it makes sense to all of you. Mm. Uh, something similar in that connection is if I'm speaking, of course, with God brothers or God sisters of mine, about my or our spiritual master, I will speak in terms of Guru Maharaj did this, Guru Maharaj, Guru Dev say that, that's okay. But if I'm speaking in a circle with disciples from who are disciples of other gurus, which people who is not my spiritual master, like this present moment, for example, now I'm speaking to you, and I can see that in the audience there are Srila Prabhupada, disciples of Srila Prabhupada, of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, they are God brothers and God sisters of mine. They are disciples of other gurus. They are devotees who are not initiated. So there is a different variety of, of audience. So in this case, when I am speaking about my Guru Maharaj, I won't say Guru Maharaj only. Because some of you, your Guru Maharaj is someone else. So I will say my Guru Maharaj in that case. To make it clear, or I may pronounce his name specifically. Because for someone else, Guru Maharaj will be someone else. And there will be a particular feeling connected to that idea of Guru Maharaj. So again, we should be very, this is a very refined consideration. This is not to become neurotic or paranoid, but just to understand how we should you know, express ourselves in those terms. So for example, um, again, if, if I am meeting someone who is a god brother or god sister of my Guru Maharaj, I won't speak to, about my Guru Maharaj as Guru Maharaj. I may say again, my Guru Maharaj will pronounce his name, or I may say, even use the name that their God brothers may use in relation to him, as a way of being empathic with that emotion. So, as you see, actually, Vaishnava etiquette has to do with being empathic, empathetic, empathic, and considering others' feelings and how everyone may feel properly considered, included, and so on. So that's very important. And, and of course, when I'm saying all these things, also it's important to understand this principle that give room for every disciple to develop their own particular uh, 
conception, of course, in terms, in legal terms, you can have weird conception, but there is room for bona fide conceptions of their own guru, but variety in that. Now, I may have a particular, sometimes devotees ask me, well, speak me about your guru Maharaj, and so, and I may speak, but my point is, it's not that you have to do copy-paste of my own experience of him. You have to have your own version, and you will have your own insights, and you will meet a particular side of him, and you will be inspired with that. And like when my Guru Maharaj describes how Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur came to him in different windows through Srila Prabhupada, Srila Siddhar Maharaj, Bhakti Pramodpuri Maharaj, each of them were especially showing a particular face of their own Guru Maharaj. And that's natural. That should should be there. So these are some considerations. Also, there are some other more technical considerations. I, I don't want to enter into further detail, but for example, regarding certain titles that sometimes are used also, sometimes there is a consideration there. For example, the title Sriman goes mainly with for uh, household, married, devotees. Sripad is mostly a, a title for... Uh, Sannyasis, Srila, journalist term for someone who is an Acharya. Srimad, Sri Srimad is for someone who is a very superlative Acharya. And in this way, Srimati, of course, has to do with female practitioners, if you will. Again, these are technicalities. It's not that if you just mistaking one letter, you are committing Vaishnava Parad, nobody is saying that. But sometimes it's nice to know to know these details and, and, and with the purpose of creating the most pleasing atmosphere. So let's continue with some other um, ideas, some other advices in connection to what the disciple should not do in connection to Sri Guru. And again, it's another way of saying what he or she should do. And I think some of them may be quite obvious. For example, one should not sit in the Guru's seat. No? If the Guru has a particular seat, or, or bed, or biases, and one should not use that for oneself, basically. Or one should not walk over the Guru's body. Now, if the Guru is, I don't know, seated on the floor with his uh, legs extended, you should not walk over those legs. As we mentioned the other day, we should not walk, walk, we should not walk over the Guru's shadow, even. But again, this is not a whimsical paranoia. It's just everything connected to that person is sacred for me. That person is, I love that person so much that I, I do not feel myself above even the shadow of my guru. I'm to serve that, I'm below that, so I won't walk over that. So we should understand this type of sensibilities. Or even the picture of Sri Guru, you should not walk over, you should not put the picture of your guru on the floor. Sacred items do not go directly to the floor, again, you are walking on that. Uh, one should not point to one's guru with one's feet. Hmm? Also, that's also part of, of the sensibility. And again, some things that are common sense. You shouldn't think yourself more intelligent than your guru hmm? and, and, and instruct your guru. Hmm? Of course, a different thing is to share thoughts in the context of serving your guru. As the example I gave last class when Sila Maharaj was uh, instructed by his Gurudev, go to the West. And he shared some feedback, some input, but in the context of serving him better. And he all at the end said, but if you want me to go, I will go. So that's very different to instruct him or her by considering yourself more intelligent. So, of course, it's a subtle line and it will depend how you are dealing with that internally. 
Also, it is said one should not imitate the Guru's speech, the Guru's bodily actions, because it's important. The Guru is not an object for your imitation. Again, we, we should speak about him or her in a very respectful way. Sometimes we imitate someone in the context of joking, generally. It's not without, uh, but even if, if not that in the context of joking, should, Guru should not be, Guru's speech or movement should not be imitated. Hmm. And also, regarding not imitating the Guru, <laughs> we shouldn't imitate the Guru in the sense of, uh, there is something called Anukar and Anusar. So Anukar means to imitate someone, to follow whatever other one is doing. And Anusar means to follow the essence, which means, before doing what my guru is doing, first I will ask myself, he or she is doing that from where inside, internally? Which is his insight for doing that? I am that on that situation? Have I gone through the situations he has gone to be where he is now? Or should I go through some experiences that my guru had 40 years ago in order to eventually be able to be what he is now? So that's an important point, especially I will say we were speaking the other day about that with Gaur Sundar. For example, let's say in reconnection to my Guru Maharaj and many disciples of him here, uh, some of you may, may have get to know him in the last, I don't know, years, five years, let's say, and you get the particular picture of who he is. And this applies to any other sadhu and acharya again. And you may not be aware of all the things he had to go through to be who he is now. You follow? And you may just get the picture of, okay, he's like this, and I will try to follow him and, and, and do as he does and be like he is now when he's 70 years and he had been practicing for 50 years and going through so many stages in his practice, in his preaching, and so on. <clears throat> so I think in that connection, for example, I, I consider it's a very interesting idea to also, for example, hear the, the lectures of your guru from 20 or 30 years back. To also appreciate who he was there, how he was presenting the teaching, which were his ideas, and so on. Because many of those things are things that we need to go through as well. And maybe you meet your guru after 50 years of his practice, and he's on a very high level and, and delivering something in a certain way. And that's unique and perfect. I'm not saying you have to escape from that. But also I think it's a good compliment to know the background of that present situation. For us to not imitate again. And to realize, oh, no, my Guru Maharaj had to go through this struggle and that struggle. Now he's not going through that. And I may feel I, I shouldn't go through that. But I may need to go through that, that he went through 30 years back or whatever. No? So I think this is a very interesting point to consider as well. Also, of course, one should not... Um, disbelief one's guru we already spoke about this how we might get to have deep trust and confidence in Sri Guru before even initiation before giving ourselves in that direction uh, and we should be very careful of um, who we associate with as well now we shouldn't associate with anyone who is envious of our guru because this may cause loss of faith and this may cause apparat hmm? So we need to have a, a proper space where we can associate with each other in such a way that our faith is nourished. Srila Siddhar Maharaj would say that each disciple needs space or several spaces in which their relationship with his guru or her guru is not challenged by anybody. 
Of course, challenges are nice, but there are challenges and challenges, different types of <laughs> ambient apparatus. We don't want to have nothing to do with that. But the point is, beyond any, any situation, we need a space where that is not challenged, where that is fully nourished, in a deep way, but in a challenging, healthy way as well. So one should not associate with someone who may be envious with Sri Guru, and of course one should not listen to any criticism to one's Guru. Again, we, we may speak about constructive criticism, but also depending on the stage of the disciple, he or she may not be even able to deal with that. But if we are speaking about destructive, in this case, criticism, one should not give an ear to that. Actually, it is said that one should counter that criticism or one should leave the place. There are some other advice given in Shastra, but I think these are the most practical. So, the point is, if you are hearing Aparat, Guru Aparat, Vaishnava Aparat, how to act there? Mahaprabhu on one side he's saying Trinada, peace in China, one should be humble and so but what's the form that it will take you know, in the face of Aparat? That's very different. Our humility will take a particular form there. Now, there's a, a, a famous nice story from from the times of the beginning of the movement in, in Western world. This was in, happening in Germany. And uh, in one in, in a temple, this was connected to Tulasi Devi, not Vaishnava Aparad, but Tulasi Aparad, which is a way of speaking about the same. And once the devotees were there in the temple, and suddenly these uh, motor bike guys called the Hell's Angels, maybe you have heard about them, they were pretty scary by the time, especially if you are a devotee and a peaceful person, coming from a hippie background and peace and love, and here these Hell's Angels came roaring with the motorbike, and they were in the temple, like, trying to open the temple and to attack the devotees, and they were shouting and insulting outside of the temple. So the devotees were inside the temple, this is in Germany, and were quite afraid, not knowing what to do, and so on. And at one point, uh, these hell's angels throw one, um, like, stone no, through the window, and that stone breaks the glass of the window and, 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 and kills and, and, and goes to Tulasi, to the plant they have. It actually was not Tulasi. They were, were worshipping some other variety of basil plant, thinking that it was Tulasi. <laughs> but the point is that this rock went to, right to the plant and broke the plant, killed the plant, if you will. So at that, until that point, the devotees were afraid. But someone at that point shouted, they have killed Tulasi. So at that point... <laughs> The, the devotees transformed. Their humility took another phase. And they just opened the, the door and, and ran towards the health angels, like the drama dutas personify, if you will. And these health angels saw the devotees in such a way, who know what they might have seen. And they just ran with their bikes outside. Everything came up the news and so on. So my point is, we should know how to be humble and how to behave hmm, according to, to, to every different case and situation and so on so hmm. I have a considerable longer list of things that I would like to share with you but I also almost one hour speaking to you so I will prefer to stop here and we will continue extending our session for for next lecture and of course uh, we will have some minutes in case you may have any question or something you may like to share or to ask. 
I prefer we can uh, direct our attention there now. So let me uh, unmute, activate the possibility for you to unmute yourself and and you have any questions we can share about that. Yes, Brigu. Could you speak some? You spoke a little bit about uh, offering obeisances. Mm -hmm. Is this a topic you will return to later, or? Yes. Yes, I, okay, I, I so actually, I yeah, I, I actually was planning to, not maybe a whole lecture, but good part of a lecture, maybe next one or the other one. But I, I want to, to go further detail. So, if you can. Okay, then Wha wait one more. Then I will save my. I will save my question then. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You are unmuted. I have a question, Mara. Yes, Mara. Yes, Mara. Um, Dhanavat, um, yeah. I was wondering. You you mentioned um, about how we don't say. Well, we don't like. Well, there's in all the Iskon temples they. They definitely mention Prabhupada very many times, so is that like they're not being, they don't have etiquette then if they do that? It's such an established thing, you know. Yeah, I will say that. Yeah, I will say that. Um, I think you have to unmute. I'm hearing myself. Um, well, once, I mean, again, if you say Srila Prabhupada, it makes no problem as I mentioned, because that can be naturally applied to one's own guru. You can think of your guru Deva Srila Prabhupada also. Of course the problem is if if I think about my guru in terms of Srila Prabhupada and, and someone else say, no, no, only my guru is Srila Prabhupada. There we enter into complicate, complex waters because that's fundamentalism. It's not that only my guru is Prabhupada, nobody else can be Prabhupada. Strictly speaking, Prabhupada is, is a name given even to Mahaprabhu in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, he himself is Prabhupada, we have Rupa Goswami, Prabhupada, Jiva Goswami, Prabhupada. I mean, you can apply those terms to, to your guru. So, in Iskand, generally, at least I've never been officially part of Iskand, but of course I know many devotees there, and they generally express in terms of Srila Prabhupada. So, it's no problem. I mean, it's, it's not the direct name of, of, of their guru, if you will, in, that, in, in the sense of what we were speaking. Is it, is it more... Um, generic way of addressing him that gives a place for <clears throat> for again for others to feel to direct that same title to their own guru and that said of course i know again that of course when Prabhupada established his movement he was emphasizing of course certain things that were the most important things at the, at the moment and that was perfect and he expected that in time the devotees of course will know more details about this and that, like for example, regarding, as you may know, the Vyasa Puja, he took them to Srila Siddhar Maharaj Math to learn how to perform that. Regarding Archana, he recommended, as, as, as my Guru Maharaj said yesterday, learn from the Radha Mango Swami's details. But again, he, he, he said that after they started all that, so like expecting in time things will get further refined. So I think it's important to be open to that and not only remain, if you will, um, emotionally attached to how things were done in Prabhupada's times and, and overtly attached to that to the point of that's the only way to do it and, 
And if you really understand a better way to do it, you should be able to, to do it without thinking that I'm transgressing what Prabhupada say or establish, because that can happen. No? He said something 50 years ago, and, and that was okay for the time, but in time he expected some, other, some things to, to change. Again, these are details, but are nice details that refine our, our expression and our, our, our identity as Vaishnavs. But again, as, as, as I said, in general the expression is Srila Prabhupada, and that's a very accommodating term that each one may direct that to their own guru. But again, if you have, if you say Srila Prabhupada, and I have, oh, I'm thinking about my guru with that term, and you say, no, only my guru is Srila Prabhupada, there is something to fix for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Something else? You are unmuted. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. I do have another question, but I yeah. don't know if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. important. To yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know if it's that important, but anyway, it's kind of been stumping me for many years that there was one couple that they were younger, um, they were like 25 or something, and they wanted to get married, and their guru, who's in good standing, had told them, no, I don't want you two to get married. And because of that, they lost faith in their guru, and they've been happily married for 33 years. So now they don't even want to have anything to do with their guru. So what about something like that? <laughs> well, I mean, this is not a very yeah. question, but... Well, I as a sannyasi do not deal too much with marriages and arrangement of, of those things, but again, it's, that's a very, you, you are quoting a specific situation and you are sharing some details about it, but we don't know, I don't know at least, all the details about it. So I, I don't like, like to give an, a conclusive opinion on that, but my point is, and, and I don't know who is the guru and which is their standing, but my point is... Uh, First of all, you, yeah, I mean, there are so many things because the first thing is, okay, you went to your guru for, I don't know if they went to their guru for advice about who I should marry or the guru himself was involved in that. So the point is, well, what's the guru doing involved in that or why you as a disciple uh, are involving him in that? Not necessarily that should happen, but okay, the guru agreed, but maybe his opinion is not, I mean, if you do not agree with his opinion, why are you asking him in the first place? <laughs> because that can happen also. No? I will ask Siguru or the Sadhu something, but you are not fully willing to follow that instruction. So you will ask something only, ideally to hear something that you like. And in that way you say, oh yes, thank you very much for your blessing. But if the person says something you don't like to hear, you won't follow that. So, of course, that makes no sense because you were just already had the ideal answer in your mind. So, why you are going for someone else to give that answer? So, again, I'm not saying this case was that or this or that, but these things can happen. So, sometimes the default may be a little bit in the disciple uh, already expecting a particular answer or involving one's guru in that, and the guru may be disagreeing with that, but maybe giving an answer that was not the best. But that shouldn't be affecting one's faith in the Guru as a teacher, as an example of Bhakti. But I don't know if in between of that the Guru had another problems regarding his achar, prachar, and the faith of those disciples, which were the, the details of that. So I couldn't say, I cannot say something definitive. But the point is, you shouldn't faith, lose faith in your Guru, if your Guru, of course, is, is Guru. <laughs> 
is all that is expected from a guru. You shouldn't faith, lose faith in that. And if you are losing faith in your guru and your guru is bona fide, let's say, so most probably you are losing faith because of because of you didn't have that faith from the very beginning or you have a, a very wrong idea of faith, very ex- a selfish idea of faith that only I have faith in something and the person pleases me, serves me, says what I want to hear. That happens sometimes. I hear so many times this idea of, oh, this devotee is inspiring me and this devotee is not inspiring me. And, and sometimes the, the, the implied meaning of that quote is, that devotee, the devotee who is not inspiring me is the one who is taking me out of the comfort zone. And the devotee who inspires me is the one who is gratifying my senses, saying me all the things that I like to hear and putting sugar candy in my ears, if you will. Oh, he's so inspiring. But actually, that's not the case. So the point is how much sincere we are and what do we understand it as inspiration or not or having faith in my guru or not. And I say this because, again, as I mentioned before, you may become accustomed that my guru is my psychologist, is my financial advisor, is my husband. Many things can happen. <laughs> and, and, and if the guru is lending himself, herself to that, whether with good reason or not, that can be dangerous. So one should know, uh, as my guru must say, one size does not fit all. So you should see what's the best situation for you as guru are for your disciples. What are the disciples' understanding of all those things? So it's it's a complex thing. It's not only one single answer or possibility, but one should be uh, alert, if you will, in that direction. Especially if you are serving in the role of a guru. You should know how to make that sustainable for you and for your students. No? So many possibilities. So it's something that, that's what I could say in that regard. You are unmuted. Okay, thanks, Nora. <clears throat> there is one question here in there is one question. here in Facebook in the in the parallel live streaming I'm making from Martin Fossati. Uh, he says, "Should we show interest to get to know about the past of your our guru in the way to understand the path he was he has walked?" And as a result of this, serve the guru in a better way. Okay, I, I understand the past. Maybe like the time in the case of your guru was, let's say, for example, not born in a Vaishnav family, which was his, her previous life and how he or she, uh, which was his journey, if you will, no? and, and his search and pursuit. So yes, there is a place for that. It's not a, a must. And we should also be how to say, sometimes this is not necessarily the case. That can happen. I mean, we have the life biographies, hiographies of many saints and members of, of our Sampradaya and Purampara. That's there. Uh, for example, my Guru Maharaj always recommends a, a, a biography of Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj. He likes a lot called Life of Devotion. And I have started reading it. And it's very nice, but also it speaks about Srila Purimarash from his birth and his childhood. And of course, in this case, <laughs> it's a particular one because Srila Purimarash was totally pure and transcendental from birth. You know, 100 years he lived and as of devotion, as they say. So that's exemplary even from, from, from the birth moment. But sometimes in the case of some other gurus, they may have had some period of, her, of their life which are not so... Uh, 
ideal in, in, in terms of Vaishnava behavior. And it's no problem, of course. I mean, we, we, we should be able to learn from that, especially because most of us are coming from an unbecoming background. So it's also nice to, to see that. But different cases, different gurus have emphasized different perspectives. No? For example, some, more have, some have more emphasized the absolute side of the guru and do not connect with that relative past and just can see him from the moment he became a Vaishnava and all the exemplary side. To be honest, personally, I understand the point. For some people with weak faith, they may need just to see their guru as perfect and absolute in every single thing that he did. And, or even if they study his previous life, they will absolutize everything. But I don't think that's a necessity for someone with more mature faith. And someone with more mature faith will be able to, to take advantage also of the previous life, if you will, of the guru. Uh, and, and, and identify with his, her uh, struggles and process and life and adventures or whatever. And, and in this way, try to, 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 read, to, to establish some parallel of an example of, oh, now he's, this, is, this goes hand by hand with the idea of the Guru being Nitya Siddha or Sadhana Siddha. In some, in some schools, they will emphasize that the Guru is always Nitya Siddha, that you cannot see your Guru as a Sadhana Siddha. In Nitya Siddha, it means an eternal associate of Krishna who has descended from the spiritual world to save us, let's say, which is pretty absolute consideration. And I understand the emphasis in that connection, at least in, in terms of the guru principle, samasti, the, the, the aggregate, the macrocosmic universe principle of gurus need to see the eternally perfect, but expresses itself, reaches to us through the Biasti to the ambassador to the individual who may not be a Nitya Siddha because the point is if every single guru in the Parampara is a Nitya Siddha then we don't have any single example of Sadhana Siddhas basically and and we ourselves we know at least in my case I know I'm not I'm not a Nitya Siddha for sure I'm not a Siddha at all what is being a Nitya Siddha so my goal is to become Sadhana Siddha at some point by the grace of Guru and Vaishnavas no, to, ad- to attain perfection through practice and, of course, through the mercy that comes in that connection. But I'm not eternally perfect soul. So if I want to be a sadhana siddha, I also need the, the reference point of some other sadhana siddha. But if everyone says, no, all the gurus in the parampara need to see this, some, it, it may be somehow discouraging. So for some, to accept that your guru may be a sadhana siddha, they may consider that's an offense you are putting your guru below. But that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's an special, glorious type of city or perfection, as Sanatana Goswami mentions in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, which is a sadhana siddha has been proved, have gone through tests, while the nitya siddha has not. Again, we are not speaking of better or worse. I, I'm, we are pointing to the direction we need. Mm-hmm. So in this sense... Uh, this is connected with this idea. You can know about the guru, your guru's previous life. If you will, previous life, I'm not referring to previous uh, birth in another body, but in previous to meeting the devotees, if that person was not a devotee from birth. And you can learn from those, if you will, mistakes or situations and identify with that and grow, but also be very careful about not relativizing the present situation of the guru in connection to his past, because that can also happen. You can also see your guru now in terms of who he was when he was a child 
or being sentimental about some elements, but you have to also retain the, the absolute side of Sri Guru in the picture, hmm? at, at, while, while at the same time you may be learning from something of his past. And for sure, if you analyze the past of your Guru, you will realize for sure this person, before meeting the devotees in this lifetime, that person already met the devotees some previous lifetime, because you can see that through his or her example and search and intensity and dedication and how that person picked the process in a very natural way in this lifetime. So that speaks about the previous lifetime of that. So we, you should also keep that at least in mind, even though you may not be aware of knowing who my guru was in his her previous birth, if we are speaking about sadhana siddhas, at least you should understand that person for sure was engaged in practice very intensely. So his present past in this lifetime is not the all in all. There was some previous practice and so on. So all these elements should be properly um, harmonized in that connection. So I, I hope that helps. <clears throat> uh, there is one question here in the chat by Omkar. So we will address that and maybe we may finish there if there are no long, no other questions after. He says... I have often so many things my Guru Maharaj said in my mind and have a hard time not quoting him when speaking to people. And I tend to think I do it in order to not credit things to myself as in all honesty most, if not all of my understanding of these topics come from what I learned from him. So is this type of mentioning of Guru not recommended? Mm-hmm. Well, one should be also sensitive to time, place, and circumstance. No? Of course, um, and, and, and pra practicality as well. No? Of course, if you say many of the things I learned, I learned from him, great, that's idea. <laughs> and, and of course, it's good to acknowledge the person from whom you have learned all the things. And, and in, especially in the beginning, one in the praxis may not have too much to say independently of one of what one has learned from one's guru, so one will resort mainly to to that to, in that direction. But in time, if you are properly receiving that, you will have your own insights, your own quote unquote. No? <laughs> they do not belong to you, but by the grace of your guru, something else will come. So you will have something to say in your own, if you will, words and experience. But meanwhile, while you you are quoting you, the, the ideas coming from your guru, it may be practical. Of course, it will be necessary to quote him because you won't present the whole discourse as if it's yours while you are just, let's say, doing copy-paste of your guru, if you will. That will be uh, pl plagiarism. So I was saying that, of course, you will quote your guru Maharaj. If not, you are in indulging in some form of plagiarism. But at the same time, in terms of practicality, you might not be quoting him, his name at every single moment and every, after every single quote. You may clarify most of the things I'm saying have been inspired by my Guru Maharaj, or even the, in certain cases, you might not be able to, to say that to, to the audience because they are not ready to digest that concept. But at least in your own inner uh, being, if you will, you will be, a, you will have that very clear for you. You will be quite aware about who is the one speaking here. And actually, the whole idea of Mangala Charan is, is for that. You are uh, invoking mm, uh, auspiciousness by praying to Sri Guru and the Vaishnavas and Goranga and, and so on, Radha and Krishna. 
So that may be not your discourse, but their own hmm, uh, expression. And so that should be from very beginning in, in the tr done in the transpersonal sense. I'm just representing them. I'm just a vehicle of them. And yes, yeah, sometimes in some occasion it may not be very, uh, mm, how to say, necessary, or or it may not be fully appreciated to quote your Guru Maharaj's name after after every single quote. But if the audience allows that to happen, you may clarify that yes, whatever you are saying comes by His grace, by His inspiration. So it will depend according to the audience. So in time we should develop certain uh, capacity to to see, you know, which is the degree, what to say, what not to say, who to mention. But what, whether, whether it may be happening on the outside, you know, in the inside, we have that very clear in our in the picture of our heart, if you will. I am representing my Guru Maharaj, by His grace I am trying to say something, and so on. As we say, Mukam Karoti Bachala, I, I do not know what to speak, by His grace I am saying something, I am blind, by His grace I am seeing, I am lame, by His grace I am walking in the path of Bhakti. So again, we have some of these rules or advices, but all of this should be properly understood and applied in, with sensitivity according to time, place, circumstance in such a way that it may nourish our bhakti and it may nourish others as well. So I think we are done for today regarding the timing. So we can, I think we will stop here with your permission. And we will continue next Thursday. I think we will continue speaking about Guru Seva since this is a very crucial uh, aspect of Vaishnava etiquette. We will speak some time about Guru Seva and Sadhu Sangha and of course some other topics as well I have in mind regarding the chanting of Harinam and worship of the deity and well, outreach or relationships and other technical, practical things of the daily life of the devotee. Gradually, let's see how much it takes. No rush. <laughs> As Guru, my Guru Mahesh will say, we are not going anywhere anyhow. <laughs> so here we are. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai. Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai. Gaur Praman Haribo.